Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Paul this morning has reason to rejoice, and starting off in verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. If you would, please be standing as we sing this next. called Hope. We are starting a new sermon series this morning, and I am excited about this series because I think it will be so relevant to where we are in this world. If there is a message we need to hear during this time, it is a word of hope. Do you agree? We need hope, and we need to not just have that hope for ourselves, but we need to be messengers of that word of hope to a world around us that is looking and searching for and in desperate need of hope. And so I hope that God will use this series to inspire us as people of hope, sharing a message of hope. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about hope. And so throughout this series, we're going to look at some of those passages and let our lives be informed, our decisions, our interactions, our choices, how we live, how we view the world. Let everything about us be informed by God's word when it comes to being people of hope. I do want to tell you that we have our Discovery Bible Study bookmarks available today. These physical cardboard bookmarks are out in the lobby. You can find a whole section of those, and this latest series is on the far right in that little stack. Be sure to get one of those, or you can access this on our church website under the resources tab. Just go there, Discovery Bible Study, and you'll find all of our sermon series and our Discovery Bible Study bookmarks there. Let me again just give a brief commercial for Discovery Bible Study. I I always talk about it because it's such an important tool, such a, a significant, meaningful, useful tool, not just for personal Bible study. It is a great way to journal and to do personal Bible study, but it is a tremendous way to sit down with two or three other people and just open up God's Word together, share your life together, pray for each other, and open up the scriptures and let God speak truth into our lives. And so if you haven't done that, or if it's been a while since you've done that, let me encourage you to find a way to do a Discovery Bible study. Really, whatever method you use, it it doesn't matter. We should be people who are opening up the Word of God with others. So I would encourage you to do that. If you have a Bible today, you might open it up to Romans chapter 5. 
Our text will be Romans 5 today, a a rich passage, a a deep passage, so many things we could talk about. I realize our our adult Bible classes are in Romans right now, and so probably we're going to repeat some of the things that maybe you talked about in class recently, but hopefully we can also highlight some important things that will inform who we are as followers of Christ, searching for hope, and as I said earlier, being messengers of hope. And so we're going to spend some time in Romans chapter 5 over the next few minutes. The other day I went to my mailbox and inside there was a macrocosm of 2020. I pulled out a stack of mail, began to thumb through it, and first of all I saw a going out of business flyer for a a local retail store. And I thought, oh yeah, I've seen that. There's a lot of stores, a lot of businesses that tough times, going out of business. And then I found two medical bills. For some reason I've been getting a lot of those this year couple of medical bills and then there was a huge glossy well-made political ad but it was a negative ad against one of the local candidates I mean there was bold font there was inflammatory language and there was the most unflattering photo of this candidate you know all the negative ads find the most unflattering photos of the people they're they're besmirching, or maybe they use Photoshop and add wrinkles and darkness and, I don't know, frowns. But this was a very, let's just say, unflattering photo. And then right behind that political ad, there was another political ad, but this one was a positive political ad for the very same candidate. And I will say the photo was much more flattering. <laughs> and I thought, that's it. I mean, that is where we are. That describes what life is like this year. In a nutshell, it's 2020. Economic woes, businesses going out of business, many of us having financial struggles or at least worried about the economy, medical and health issues, (laughs) and then this political rhetoric that is just all around us and this conflict and so many mixed messages. I thought, this is 2020. It's no secret that many people in our world right now, maybe including some of us, are feeling the burden of anxiety. Or or maybe anxiety is a word that you're a little bit afraid of, and so maybe you would call it stress or concern or worry. But there are so many people, including, I would venture to say, some of us who are walking around with this burden on our backs. And we're not... We're not standing up straight because we can't because it feels like we're carrying so much around with us. So much stress, so much worry. What's going to happen? And we get through this semester. Can we keep our jobs? How are we going to pay the rent? All of these things, not to mention so many other things going on in our world, it feels like we're carrying a burden. It feels to me like uh, maybe one of those weighted blankets. Have you seen these weighted blankets now that are becoming so popular? We got one for Christmas last year. It's an interesting concept, a weighted blanket. This blanket weighs like 40 pounds. I was going to bring it today as an object lesson, but I thought I'd probably injure myself, so I decided to leave it at home. But it's like a 40-pound blanket. I mean, you can, just folding the things, folding the thing is a workout. You know, you can do your workout just folding this blanket. And, and, and it's supposed to, to sort of give you this sense of security and this sense of of well-being and peace because it sort of covers you and in fact on the package it says it simulates the warm embrace of a loved one 
It simulates the warm embrace of a loved one. Well, I don't have any loved ones who are square and weigh 40 pounds. I mean, I have a few square loved ones, but none that weigh 40 pounds. And so to me, I'll be honest, I'm not a big fan of the weighted blanket. I feel a little bit trapped, a little bit oppressed. (laughs) I feel like I can't really get out from under it. You know, some people love those. Some of you probably have one, and you love it. But others don't like it. What's the difference? Why is it great for some people and a burden for other people? Why does it bring comfort and security for some and for others it feels like they're being oppressed? Maybe it's just a matter of perspective. Perspective is an important word. Perspective is an important aspect of what it means to live amid trials and tribulations and difficulties. Perspective means my world view. It means the set of lenses I choose to put on to view the world, to view myself, to view other people, to view good things, to view difficult circumstances. It is my perspective. And perspective is so important when it comes to suffering, when it comes to trials, when it comes to hardship. Maybe it's a matter of perspective. Paul instructed Christians in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, that we should set our hearts and our minds where? On things above, not on things below, not on earthly things, but to set our hearts and our minds on things above. You see, that is about perspective. And when it comes to dealing with adversity, which one of those we choose, whether to set our hearts and minds on things above or things below, is so important and so impactful in how we get through that adversity and what that adversity is allowed to do to us. You see, it truly is a matter of perspective. And the Bible sheds light on the importance of having a gospel-shaped perspective or worldview when it comes to not just adversity, but every part of life. So in Romans chapter 5, we get a glimpse of this perspective we are to have. Let me back up. In chapter 4, Paul spends an entire chapter talking about the important role of faith in our justification before God. And basically what he says is genuine faith allows us to take hold of the grace that God gives us. Genuine faith on my part allows me to take hold of the grace that God pours out on me. And by doing that, the relationship between God and me is restored. And then he opens up chapter 5 with some calming words of reassurance based on that justification or that being right with God that we have. So Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's not just an add-on phrase there. That is where our peace comes from. It comes through what Jesus has done, the redeeming work that Merritt talked about a few moments ago at the cross and the empty tomb. And so we have this peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 2, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace into which we now stand. By God's good grace, Through faith, we have something. What do we have? He says, you have peace with God. Now, we have peace from God. 
this sense of shalom, to use the Hebrew word, the sense of shalom, the sense of everything's okay, the sense of quietness and calmness. We have peace from God, but that's not what he's talking about here. He says you have peace with God. This is about spiritual warfare that is going on in our world. The spiritual warfare that separates me as a sinner from a perfect and holy God. And so because of what Jesus has done, that war has been won, and now I can be in relationship with God. I have access to God. I don't have to take the animals into the temple to sacrifice because Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice, and so now I have access to God. I am at peace with God. There's no dividing wall. There's no hostility. My sin no longer separates me from God because Jesus has taken that sin and done away with it by his sacrifice. And so we have peace with God. And that's why he will say in just a few verses after this, in verse 8, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. When we were at our worst Right before that, he says, at just the right time. When we needed it most, we have peace with God. What a gift that is. What a blessing that is. And because we have peace with God, we have other spiritual blessings. And one of those, he says, is hope. Hope. Back in our text, the second part of verse 2. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, when he says boast here, he's not saying we, we brag we're arrogant about it. It means we, we celebrate, we cherish. And we do this in the hope that we have of the glory of God. Now, it's also important before we continue, let me say this. Throughout this series, and when you look at Scripture talking about hope, hope is not this sense of, I want something to happen. I'm looking forward to maybe this happening. I hope for a certain gift at Christmas I hope to get a new job. I hope we find a vaccine. I hope my team wins the game. That's not biblical hope. In the Bible, in Scripture, hope is not I'm hoping for or I think maybe this might happen or I really want it to happen. Hope in the biblical sense, in the spiritual sense, is I have an assurance, a confidence in what God has already done, what God is doing, and what God will continue to do. I have hope. It's not, it's not something we debate. It's not something I wish might happen. It's something that God is doing, and so I have this assurance. And so let me back up again. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Some versions say we rejoice in our sufferings. We take delight, we celebrate, we cherish our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, or as the version Jim read, it does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us us all right so Paul says we glory or we rejoice in our sufferings and when I read that I don't know if you're like me but I read that and say wait a second Paul (laughs) 
I think you took too many stones to the head, too many shipwrecks. That is, that is crazy. That is absurd. How can we rejoice in our sufferings? That seems impossible. It sounds counterintuitive. It sounds counterproductive. It just sounds illogical. And he's going to get to the why, why it makes sense and how it all works in just a moment. But before we get there, I think it's so important to point out a very important truth tucked away in that passage, a very solemn truth folded into those beautiful words. And this is that truth, that suffering is a part of life. That's not something I probably need to tell you. It's probably something you know well, firsthand experience. I mean, look around our world. Suffering is a part of life. Suffering is a part of our world. And Christians are not exempt. In fact, there's a chance that because you are a person of faith, you may encounter more suffering. That certainly was the case in the first century, the second century, and some of those early centuries. Now, we are blessed to live in a place where it's not necessarily the same way. Most of us won't have our lives threatened. We won't be stoned. We won't be thrown in prison because of our faith. But suffering is a part of life. And it's important to acknowledge that. It's also important to acknowledge that in the New Testament, when we read about suffering or persecution, those two go hand in hand. Usually suffering is the direct result of one's faith, not necessarily because he or she lives in a world that is imperfect. However, I think, especially for us today in Romans 5, the things Paul is are sharing, the, the things he is saying, they are relevant to our suffering today, whether it is what you might call subtle persecution or it's just the suffering of living in a broken world where there is disease, where there is death, where there is disappointment, where there are all kinds of struggles. The things that Paul says in Romans 5 apply directly to our situation. Sometimes we think that we are immune to suffering. If we're truly honest with ourselves, we think we have a deal with God. God, I'll do my part I'll try to be as good as I can be, and you do your part by letting me have a pretty good life. Now, most of us would never come out and say that, but there's something inside our head that, that, is, that has convinced us of that. And it's almost like we know suffering is a part of life. We see it all the time. But as people of faith, we think maybe God has a different plan for us. And maybe God does, but maybe he doesn't. Some of us think that maybe we can just get inoculated against suffering just give us a little bit of suffering just a little bit so that I'm immune to the big time suffering like you know don't let me find a parking place up close or maybe the restaurant serves Pepsi instead of Coke or or maybe maybe they don't have Wi-Fi oh no or it's slow Wi-Fi that's suffering and so if I can just have a little bit of suffering then maybe I won't have to experience big-time suffering. Maybe, maybe it's in the form of, you know, we really want this house, we prayed about this house, we've made an offer on this house, and that offer fell through. Now, with all these examples, I'm obviously exaggerating a bit, but I think there's sometimes this little thing inside of us that says, I shouldn't suffer. Yeah, I acknowledge that there's a lot of suffering around me, but, but I shouldn't have to suffer. 
And that's a dangerous place to go. Any theology that has no room for suffering is a theology that will eventually collapse on itself. I mean, think about that for a minute. Any view of God and life in the kingdom of God that has no room for difficulty and adversity, it will eventually collapse on itself. Read Job's story in the Old Testament. Read Paul's story in the New Testament. Read the story of Jesus. Suffering is a part of the biblical narrative and folded into God's divine plan of what he has done in the world and what he will do in the world. Does that mean that God causes all suffering? No. But does it mean that God can work through and use all suffering? Absolutely. Yes. In the famous psalm, Psalm 23, David says the good shepherd does what? Does he say that the good shepherd leads him around the valley of the shadow of death? No. The good shepherd leads him through it. And the good shepherd may lead you through some valleys. Some valleys that are darkened by the shadow of death. That's what life is sometimes. Because guess what? This isn't heaven. This isn't it. This isn't our home. This place is busted and broken. There is sin. There is sickness. There is evil. And sometimes we are victimized by all of those things. And so to assume that Christians won't suffer is to have an incomplete view of where our faith is aimed and where our hope is anchored and how life in this broken world often works. Is it fair that some suffer more than others? No. Is it reasonable that bad things happen to good people? Absolutely not. Is it desirable to be targeted by sickness or injustice or suffering or death? Never. And the church should do everything it can to combat these things, to make this world as much like that world as possible. But there will be suffering. And if my theology shoves personal suffering out of the equation, then you know what will happen to my faith? It will be destroyed. And maybe it really wasn't faith at all in the first place. My view of God, my desire to follow Christ will come crashing down when suffering comes. It will collapse in a big heap of self-centered assumptions and shallow beliefs. And my faith will lie mangled somewhere amid the rubble. I've seen it happen. You've seen it happen. I don't have to enjoy suffering, but I should expect it. But Paul doesn't stop there, not with the reality of suffering. And praise God that he doesn't stop there. Because here's the good part. There's good news. God can work through the suffering. God is present in the valley of the shadow of death. Remember what we said about perspective? Paul says we can relish in our sufferings. We can rejoice in our sufferings. Now let's be clear. He doesn't say that we celebrate our sufferings as though we go looking for, for suffering or when suffering does come, we are so quick to list all the things that we've endured as though they are badges of honor for people to hear. He doesn't necessarily say you celebrate your sufferings. He says you celebrate 
in your sufferings. How can you do that? How's that possible? Why would someone be able to celebrate, to rejoice in his or her suffering? Here's why. Because God is at work. Because God is at work. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we pray? God intervene. God do this. God bless this. We want God to be at work. And Paul tells us right here, when we suffer, God is at work. Something holy is happening. Suffering can set off a chain of events, a holy process that transforms our hearts and minds and lives, all orchestrated by God. God's divine plan that transports us to a different place with a different perspective. He says it looks like this. Suffering produces what? Perseverance. It's almost like the Spirit of God is taking suffering and stacking these things on top of it as building blocks. You start with suffering, and that develops perseverance. And that perseverance leads to this development of character. And ultimately, that character on top of that perseverance, because of that suffering, will take you to a place of hope. Isn't that a beautiful picture of how God works through suffering? Suffering triggers God's transformative work in your life. Like the Spirit using building blocks to build an unshakable faith in you. And where does it end? It ends with hope. Perseverance here means the ability to endure, the ability to stay when tough times come. Character here means being approved or validated once you stand. And so when we go through suffering, we learn to persevere. We develop, God develops in us perseverance. We stay the course. We endure. And having endured, we develop character by the work of the Spirit in our lives that takes us to a place of hope. Now that looks great on paper, certainly in the paper of our Bibles that looks great, but when you put that formula, that equation, in the hard drive of human logic, it doesn't always seem to compute, does it? When you compare what we just read with life experience, life experience seems to sometimes tell us a different story. In fact, an opposite story. Here's what typically or sometimes happens in our lives. There is suffering that leads to disappointment. How could I be going through this? God, how could you do this to me? This isn't fair. This isn't right. Which then leads to doubt. Maybe God isn't alive after all. Maybe there is no God. Maybe this, this whole Christian thing is just a, a hoax. That ultimately, if you continue down that track, it leads to hopelessness. It leads to despair. You see, the suffering is the same. The difference is, which way do you go? Do you allow suffering to ascend you to a place of hope? Or do you allow suffering to drag you down to a place of despair and hopelessness? Experience sometimes takes us down to hopelessness, doesn't it? It takes us down to despair. But the Bible says there's a better way, there's a different way. Well, what's the difference? What's the difference? It's the hope paradox. And the hope paradox says that hardship can inspire hope. 
There are so many paradoxes in, in Scripture and in the kingdom of God. Jesus says, if you want to be first, you've got to be what? Last. If you want to be great, then you must humble yourself and be a servant. There are so many things that seem upside down. They seem inside out when you compare them to human logic, when you compare them to experience. But maybe those aren't the things that are inside out and upside down. Maybe the way we typically try to live life is upside down. Maybe we were created by God to live his way all along. And that's the right way. The right side up way, if you will. One of those paradoxes in the kingdom of God is what we just read. That somehow, some way, by the Spirit of God and God working in our lives, that hardship can actually inspire hope. Rather than hopelessness, rather than despair. How's that possible? How, when I find myself right there in the middle of suffering, do I ascend to a place of hope rather than descend to a place of despair? Remember our word? Perspective. Perspective. The difference is looking at our circumstances versus looking through our circumstances. The difference is my vision, my worldview, my perspective stopping with what is going on in my life, my circumstances, good or bad for that matter. Stopping right there rather than using those circumstances, as difficult as they may be, as a window. Not a closed door, but a window through which I see God at work. That's the difference. Perspective. So we think about what's going on in our world right now. We think about this pandemic and its far-reaching effect. I mean, it's sometimes overwhelming to think about the ripple effect of this thing, the economic effect. I mean, some of us were talking the other day just about academically, our students. <laughs> it's so different for our students and teachers right now. I mean, is, this, is there going to be a gap in our learning? What about socially? People feeling isolated, disconnected. What about habits and routines that are being formulated during this time that maybe aren't healthy? I mean, there are so many implications. And if you really stop to think about it, it can be overwhelming. It can be discouraging. So how, how do you see through this pandemic? Now, when I say seeing through this pandemic, please know I do not mean dismissing it or demeaning its devastation because there are people everywhere, including right here among us in this congregation, who have been devastated by it, who have lost their lives, their loved ones, who have taken huge financial hits, who have been impacted in other ways. And so to look through it doesn't mean to act like it's not there or act like it's not serious or to dismiss it. It is to try to see what God might do during it, through it, among us, in us, in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. What is he teaching us? How is he shaping us? What are we learning? What are we seeing that we didn't see before? How will we be different coming out of this season than we were going into it? And not just different in the sense of physical differences, financial differences, but spiritually, as people of faith, how will our perspective, our view of God and the world, our priorities, our values be different 
because God is working among us. And how will we be faithful through it all? Yes, we should pray for God to remove this virus. And we should pray for a vaccine. And we should pray to help, for God to help and to heal those who are suffering because of it. But we also need to pray that God would work through it. That God would reveal his will to us through it. That God would shape us and develop within us perseverance that leads to what? Character. That provides what? Hope. That God would help us, as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4.18, fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Because what is unseen is eternal. It's what matters most. So, we rejoice in suffering, to use Paul's phrase, we glory in suffering because that's the path that takes us towards spiritual maturity and genuine hope. So back to the weighted blanket. We can find comfort and security when we are weighed down by the burdens of this world or we can feel oppressed and trapped and allow those things to suffocate our faith. Which will it be? What is your perspective? What will you choose to see? Will you choose to see God? When archaeologists began to unearth the ancient catacombs of the first and second century, where Christians often hid or, or were held or sometimes even died, when archaeologists went back and looked at those things, and including some of the graves of Christians during that time, they found lots of interesting things and symbols etched on the walls and on people's graves. And among those things, they found all kinds and types of anchors. Here's one example, a couple of examples. Different, different versions of anchors. An anchor became a symbol for those early Christians who were facing intense persecution and suffering. Some knowing they were about to be led into a coliseum where some animal would destroy them, some who knew they were going to be tied to a wooden beam and set on fire. They would leave a symbol of an anchor. Or if a friend had died on his or her tomb, they would sometimes carve the symbol of an anchor along with the words, in peace or peace be with you. Isn't that interesting? An anchor. You see, they had, even though they were facing intense persecution, they had this peace about them. They had this perspective about them that allowed them to see beyond, to see through those very difficult circumstances to something bigger, to something better, to something eternal. And that vision gave them hope. And that hope became an anchor, something they could count on, something that was firm and secure. Hebrews 6, 19, we have this hope as an anchor, an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. That's what you have available to you. Will you reach out and take hold of it? What will you choose? What will your perspective be? Will you see through the eyes of faith or will you see through the eyes of human logic and reason and self-centeredness? 
You get to choose. God doesn't force you. I pray that you would choose to see with eternal eyes. Because when you do, God works in your life to turn suffering into hope. And that is an amazing thing. If we can help you today, if a word of encouragement, a prayer of blessing would be helpful for you. If you need to confess struggles in your life, we want to come alongside you. If today you're ready to give your life to Christ, to be baptized into Christ, we certainly want to assist you with that and celebrate that great decision. If you're at home, you can go to our website. If you're here, you can go to our website. And there's a prayer page there. You can reach out to us, make your request known there. Also, let me encourage you to go visit that page and pray for others. Or if you're here today, you can come forward together as we stand and sing. My heart.